0: Good morning, church. The uh, short-term trips that Amy was talking about—I know that's for leaders—but if you've never been on a short-term missions trip, that uh, they have a surprising uh, effect upon us. If you go with an open heart, it will be one of the, the spiritually uh, productive growth periods of your life. Research, in fact, has shown that two periods where Christians really grow—accelerated ex- growth—one is times of suffering which you don't want to look for. Secondly, these short-term mission trips. And just want to encourage you, when you go with an open heart, it's amazing what God does in your heart. All right, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, full voice, with all your heart. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, there is no one like you. You are the sovereign, holy, infinite, perfect God. Lord, you are abounding in love and mercy. You are altogether good. Lord, thank you for a Savior. Thank you for the gospel the gospel of grace. Lord, I pray that every single one of us here would see you as you are and see ourselves as you see us. Lord God, our fellow Christ-honoring churches, bless them each one. Particularly this weekend, Lord, we are praying for the Woodlands United Methodist Church and their pastor, Ed Robb, that you would continue using this church in a great way. Lord God, for Outside the Wall's ministries here, Lord God, we want to pray together for a kingdom dogs ministry, our own Hank Huff, Lord God, who speaks all over the nation using these dogs ministry. Please bless them. Lord God, and then finally, for all of us who live in spring, Lord God, for every home church group in that area, Lord God, give us grace to love our neighbors and to reach them with your love. Lord, we really need to hear from you today. Lord, we're not showing up to check a box, but we're showing up to meet you and to draw close to God. By your Spirit, Lord, would you please speak to every single one of us? Lord, these are our prayers. We pray together. We pray in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen, amen. Well, church, um, we're in Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis 1 is the wide-angle view of creation. Genesis 2, you zoom in. Genesis 1 is the creation of the heavens and the earth, the entire universe. Genesis 2 focuses in, it zooms in on man and woman, the apex of God's creation. So, this is the elaboration of day six. Now, Genesis 1 through 3, as we've seen before, uh, so foundational, every significant theme in the Bible is introduced in Genesis 1 through 3, at least in seed form. Now, I've been gone the last two weeks, but three weeks ago when we got to Genesis 2.15, we came to the first passage in the Bible on work, and we elaborated a biblical perspective because work is so important in our lives. The very next verses, 16 and 17, that we get to today, uh, introduces for the first time obedience. And because that too is so foundational, we need to elaborate a biblical perspective. So that's where we're going. Would you please stand as I read today's passage? Stand in honor of God's Word. I'm in Genesis 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 15 just to get the flow and only read those three verses, 15, 16, and 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day... That you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Now, right at the outset, we, we read those words, And the Lord God commanded the man. God has no hesitation about giving us commands because he's God and we are not. And he expects us to obey his commands because he is God. What does he command here? Well, he commands Adam and by implication Eve. In verse 16, he says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He gives them a command. First of all, he gives them permission, a wide permission. Every tree in the garden, except this one tree, every tree, help yourself. Enjoy it. It's good interesting that God begins not with the restriction, the one restriction, but the, the bounty of His provision. All of this is for you. And then He says the one restriction, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this somewhat mysterious tree. And then He lets them know why, because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So, a couple of things about this. First of all, uh, by popular culture, it's often thought of that when Adam and Eve well, the next chapter, Genesis 3, Eve will eat of this tree, and then Adam will eat of this tree. We think of it as being an apple tree, but the Bible never says. We just don't know what kind of tree it is, nor do we need to know. Nor uh, do we need to uh, think of that tree as magical in some sense. It's not magical. Uh, they die because um, just disobeying God, they sin against God and therefore separate themselves from God. He's the holy God. And when we think about death in the Bible, let's not think about our heart stops beating or or we stop breathing. It's not expiration so much. It's separation. God is the source of all life. We have life as we are connected to God. We have spiritual life as we are connected to Him spiritually. And um, if we sin against Him, if Adam and Eve disobey God, then they are separated from God. And they die spiritually at that moment. And eventually that spiritual death will culminate in a physical death. So they will die spiritually when they disobey God, and they will see that the next chapter, but that will eventually culminate in their physical death. So that's the kind of death that this has in mind. You will die. Uh, they, they, if they eat of the tree that God says not to, uh, it's just their independence from God. John Piper, for example, said of this verse, he says, "'I take the knowledge of good and evil.'" To refer to a status of independence from God in which Adam and Eve would decide for themselves apart from God what is good and what is evil. So, eating from this tree would mean a declaration of independence from God. And that's the essence of sin. When you declare, Lord, I I got this, I'll go my way, I'll do what I want, you stiff arm God out of your life. That's sin. That's the essence of sin. So, here in this passage, uh, God, for the first time, we read this word, commanded, and God commanded the man uh, to, not eat of this tree, to not eat of this one tree, but help yourself for the other trees. So this is obedience. It's what it's implicit. It'll become such a major theme in the Bible that we need to pause the first time we come to it in the Bible and just look at entire biblical perspective. And this is what I want to do. I want to I look at nine truths about obedience. It's vital, vital. We're going to see how important it is. Nine truths biblical truths. After that, what what, what I'm going to do is then talk specifically about some specific sins that are commonly disobeyed today. That'll be the fun part. I will warn you, in those times, uh, uh, I'll speak to everybody. I I counted this morning, I think it was, of the eight examples I'm going to give, that six of them are issues for me. So if none of them apply to you, wow, you are really good, man, man. We'll put a statue up. All right. Here are the nine truths. All righty. We obey God just because He is God. Now, that's what we see in this very first verse, the assumption. The Lord God commanded the man. God commands him because He's God. He's got the prerogative as God, as the Creator, to give us command. And He expects us to obey Him. So we obey God just because He is God, and we are not. Uh, that is reason enough. In fact, some ways, the essence of sin is when we play God and act as if, uh, you know, we're independent from God, as I just talked about. We don't submit to God's authority. We play like we're God, little gods. All righty, first of all, we obey God just because He is God. I think that's the starting place. Secondly, and more deeply, and the emphasis of Jesus, we obey God because we love Him. Don't we? That is really getting to the heart of it. John fourteen twenty one is the classic statement, where Jesus said to you and me, He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Not the person over there who knows the word of God, not the person over there who talks a good game, but the man or the woman, the boy or the girl who obeys the Lord uh, to that extent. Uh, that's the person who loves me. If if we're just talking and we're not doing then uh, our love for the Lord is not what we think it is. Chuck Swindoll put it this way. He said, the very best proof of your love for the Lord is obedience, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. The very best proof. Tim Keller has written a superb book on the reason for God. I think I'm referring to Tim Keller almost as much as C.S. Lewis these days. Tim Keller. Uh, sometimes I, I give a little detail on the books because I, I want you to know about the book. If you've got, a, if you've got a, a, a non-Christian friend who is at all open to the gospel, I think the single best book today is his book The Reason for God. Before this, I would have guessed Mere, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, but I think I'd take today The Reason for God by Tim Keller. It, it's in our bookstore, but our bookstore is closed, and so it's If there are any left from the first service, they're at the information desk. It's also in our library. So, Intelligent Non-Christians, great book to give them. All right, back to the point. Uh, In that book, he talks about this passage, and he says, God tells Adam and Eve that they must not eat of one tree on penalty of death. But what would be so bad about eating of this tree? No answer is forthcoming. However, if we comply with God's directions only when it fits in with our goals and interests, then we are trying to get God to orbit around us. God becomes a means to an end, not an end in Himself. God then is saying to humanity something like this, Obey me about the tree just because you love me. And that is the heart of the reason. Because God loves, this is why I love God, because He loves me. Because he's God, because he's good and he's perfect, and especially because of a blood-stained cross where my Lord died for my sin. And that's why I want to obey him. And that should be very close to the heart of yours. But there's more. There's more. Thirdly, we obey God because we trust him. Not just because we love him, but also because we've got faith in him, trust in him. Think about Hebrews 11. One example alone. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. Okay, by faith, by trust, because Abraham trusted God, he obeyed. Every time you obey God, you are saying, I'm trusting you, God. What are you trusting? You're trusting this. You're trusting he's God and you're not. You're trusting he's good and you're not. You're trusting that he gives us his command for your good and for my good. You're trusting that he knows what he's talking about. He's the sovereign God of all of the universe, It is a statement of faith every time you obey. And every time we do not obey, it is a statement of, Lord, I don't really trust you on this. Now, we'd never say that, but that's, in fact, what's happening. Lord, I don't believe you're good. I don't believe you know what you're talking about. Lord, my way is better than your way. It is a statement of unbelief. Lord, I am not trusting you for this one. We trust, we obey God because we trust him. All right, number four, Satan schemes and lies to deceive us about obedience. Now, there's a classic example that we will come to in a few weeks. It's found in Genesis 3, the very first disobedience. And this is what happens. Satan, in the form of the serpent, comes to Eve, and this is what he basically says to her. Look, Eve, God said, you can't eat of that tree. Man, you need that tree. You need that tree so your eyes will be open. God knows that. He's holding back on you. You need this to be happy. Now, the suggestion from Satan is that God is not very good and he's holding back something you need. Now, friends, that is the essential satanic temptation that you and I face all the time. We may not recognize it as so, but that's it. Oh, if I just had that marriage, I better divorce my spouse and go for that marriage because I need that to be happy. Heard that lie before? Sure you have. Every time we sin and disobey God, in effect, we're saying, Yeah, you're right, Satan. God is not really good, and he's holding back good for me. He's a liar, and he's out to devour our souls. And we've got to be aware of the spiritual battle raging around us. Satan schemes and lies to deceive us about obedience. Number five. It is always best to obey God, always. Conversely, sin always hurts us, always. There may be short-term pleasure, but there will always be long-term pain. I mean, just think about that. That this is reason enough to obey the Lord, isn't it? If every time I disobey God in any way, I am going to bring pain on myself and perhaps others around me at some point. Because God is good and he knows what he's saying. Satan is a liar. And the Ten Commandments in the old King James Version is thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It's been said every time God says thou shalt, he is saying help yourself. Every time God says thou shalt not, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Just like a wise parent would be with his kids. Don't hurt yourself. Friends, obedience is for our good. God's not trying to deprive us of anything. He's, he is protecting us. He's helping us. We've got to obey the Lord. And here's the problem. The church in America today is not obeying the Lord very much at all. In fact, the the people in the church look like the people outside the church. And just about every year of life, we are being squeezed into the mold of the world rather than pursuing the holiness of God. That's what's happening. Let's be different, church. Let's be different. Uh, It's not only right. It's just smart. You hurt yourself every time. We hurt ourselves every time we disobey. Okay, number six, in obedience to God is our liberation. We want peace. We want joy. We want freedom. It is only in obedience. That's it. That's where we find the freedom. So total surrender is the way to go because we want that kind of peace and joy and freedom down deep. Uh, C.S. Lewis, obedience is the road to freedom. Thomas Kelly, the life that intends to be wholly obedient. Catch this one. The life that intends to be wholly obedient, wholly submissive, wholly listening, is astonishing in its completeness. Its joys are ravishing, its peace profound, its humility the deepest, its power world-shaking, its love enveloping, its simplicity that of a trusting child. I want those things, and so do you. It is found in obeying God because we trust Him and we love Him. It's our liberation. Seven. When we disobey, not if, but when, because we're going to disobey. No perfect people here. Forgiven people, but not perfect people. When we disobey, we must respond with brokenness and confession. Brokenness and confession. Isaiah 66, verse 2. But But this is the one to whom I will look, the one whom I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word, broken before God because of our sin. God loves that brokenness of spirit. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we, we get this. We get this. God is a person. We relate to him as a person. He's not less than a personal than we are. He's more of a personal than we are. If I'm, or whether Joe Lancelotti, who's on our staff team, if, I, if I'm really unkind to Joe and just really insensitive to him, then um, jo- Joe, you know, he doesn't kind of kick me out of his uh, contact list, but, but there's a barrier, isn't there? There's a, a cloud between us. But if the next day, or even hopefully another hour, I come back to Joe and, and so apologize to him from the heart, what's Joe going to do? gonna forgive me. He's gonna, man, it's just gonna evaporate. Just gonna, it's gone. That's the way marriage works, isn't it? That's the way marriage works. That's the way it works with God. When I, when I grieve God by stiff-arming him out of my life, uh, you know, I've still got legal forgiveness because Christ died for all my sins. But there's a personal forgiveness. There's a cloud there because God's a person. And when I just confess that to him, it cloud, evaporates. Just go. Just confess your sin. Agree with God. Lord, I'm so sorry that I yelled at my son. Lord God, I really need your help. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving. Just just gently. God is so gentle with us. Just bring it to him. All righty. Two more. Number eight, God is not looking for selective obedience, but total obedience. Now, some of these commands are easy. You probably don't struggle with do not murder, do you? And some of the others you probably don't struggle with. Um, If you obey the easy ones, but the ones you really don't like, and you disobey the hard ones, who's the Lord of your life? Is Jesus the Lord or are you the Lord? I mean, you're choosing. But if you decide, if you make the decision, Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life, I'm giving all my life to him. Obey all of them. Hard and easy. And that's why I'm bringing up a little bit later some of the hard ones. All right. One more, though, first. Oh, yeah, Charles Spurgeon. We must be willing to do what God tells us, as God tells us, when God tells us, because God tells us. Or great 13th century prayer. Okay, this is from the 1200s. This was his prayer. Lord, do thou turn me all into love And all my love into obedience, and let my obedience be without interruption. A heart wholly yielded to God. Number nine. Now, what we got today in the church is we got selected obedience, just the easy ones. We need total obedience. So we stop looking like the world. Okay, finally, number nine. We obey God not to earn his favor, but because we have his favor, don't we? This is the gospel. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm not trying to earn brownie points with God. I'm not on a religious treadmill. But Jesus Christ died for all my sins. He's accepted me completely. I am his blood-bought, much-loved, adopted child, period. And because of that, I want to please him. I want to please him. This is not works. This is not religion. This is the gospel. This is grace. Jesus paid it all. Yeah, God. got I want to please you because of that, because of a Savior. Okay, church, nine principles. Now, any one of those principles would be sufficient in themselves, but they are crucial. I mean, we're talking about some of the very most important things in life. Now, now when you think about some of the sins I'm going to talk about in light of these principles, obey him because he's God, we obey him because we love him, we obey him because we trust him, and every time we obey him, we're saying, I trust you, Lord, and every time we disobey him, we're saying, I don't believe you. And, and, and this is for our liberation. And Satan is a liar and a schemer. He's the, the Bible says he's the father of lies. He's a liar. And um, we, we don't want to go along with his schemes. It, it, we hurt ourselves when we don't obey. It's, the stakes are so high for us. We cause all kinds of problems. Okay, here's my list. I know you, you might have a different list. Uh, I, I had a bigger list before, but I thought, well, I'm not going to have time to get to all these things, so took out a couple of them. And, and there are other things that I didn't include that, you know, I certainly could. I could talk about fear. I could talk about anger. I could talk about selfishness. Some of those are a little bit vague, and it's hard to kind of pin down. I'm going to try to be a little more specific. But these are eight common sense. Now, th- this is what's going to happen. Because you're not self-righteous, and you realize you struggle with these things too. I'm not the only one. Uh, it's going to get real quiet in here. And it's the Spirit of God challenging us. Respond to him. It is for your good. It is for your good. Be open to the Spirit's leading this morning. What's what's the Spirit saying to you? What, what, What do you need to give to him? My first one, love of money. Surprised? I hope not. I mean, Jesus talked about love of money and greed more than anything else. In fact, he said, no one can love God and money. Either he will hate the one, despise the other, or or love the one and despise the other. Uh, He he is saying, no one can love God and money. He's saying that the great rival in the human heart, for me, is money. Now here we are, if that's true of every age, and we live in the most affluent culture in history, just about, you you don't think we struggle with that? (laughs) I do. And probably you do too. Sometimes we we kind of rationalize this and say, you know, it's not me. It's the folks that have a lot more money than me. They struggle with it. You know, all the world is saying that except Bill Gates. I guess he can't say that. You know, uh, uh, Warren Buffett probably can look at Bill Hiley. You know, uh, Gates struggles with it. This struggle runs through the heart of every one of us. This is our big tendency, and it involves self-reliance and (laughs) self-sufficiency. And the love of things. Um, what are the indicators? You know, it's hard to, to, to know all the indicators. But, but I'd say this. You know, if, if, you're, uh, if you're addicted to shopping, either at the mall or online, sorry to step on some toes there. Um, you know, that's, that's just a sign that something's awry here. If you're, if you're always comparing what you have to what your neighbors got or what your friends have. If you've got excessive credit card debt, if you're consistently spending more money than you're earning, red flags. Um, but the Bible helps us here. It gives us the acid test. It's giving, it's giving. God has a test for us. Do we really love the Lord or are we just talking about it? And that's why we give off the top to him. If you're giving about a tenth or so Somewhere in there, you know, probably, you know, there's a whole lot of love for Jesus in you. But if you're not, don't kid yourself. This is the test. If you're not not hardly giving anything to the Lord, just this is a time to re-examine your life. And it's for your good. It's for your good. Love of money. You only hurt yourself. Secondly, sexual impurity. I told y'all it'd get quiet in here, didn't I? It did the last time, and it probably will this time. Especially that first one. I mean, who's free of that? Okay, if this is a money intoxicated culture, it is certainly a sex craze culture, isn't it? I mean, wow. Lust, pornography, premarital sex. I think the next time I hear of a couple that claims to be committed to Christ, that's sleeping together for their marriage, I'm going to hit somebody. Maybe not. But man. Good night. Adultery. Homosexual sin. When the Bible is so emphatic with this one that every other sin is outside the body, this is your sin against your own body. It's when you sleep with a, a woman that you're not married to, you could bring into existence an eternal soul. So powerful is this sacred gift of sex. It is for marriage only. Pornography, the stats are atrocious. And kids so young. I mean, sex craze culture. Um, Proverbs 6. I'm going to read you one passage because it's so strong about the cost of sexual sin. Now, if you're thinking about getting involved in some pornography or premarital sex or adultery, read this passage first. Proverbs 6, 28. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. And all of our culture is saying, no problem. Shut your ears to the lies of Satan through our culture. Number three, unforgiveness. Maybe the hardest one. But every Sunday morning, I, I, I kneel over here, and you pray with me. And we mean it. We, we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. But yet, when your, your spouse is unkind to you, uh, it's hard. Man, we just feel, how could they? Or your boss betrays you, or your, mom, your, your mother neglected you, or your father abused you, or your, your friend uh, undermines you. I mean, when you actually get into the situation, forgiveness is hard. I think it's our hardest work of love. It doesn't mean that the hurt goes away. Some of that hurt will never go away. What it does mean is you make the choice before God Almighty. You're going to stop playing God. You're going to stop getting on your self-righteous hobby horses if you never sin and hurt other people. And you're going to say, God, I choose to forgive because you say to. Because you've forgiven me, Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If someone wrongs you, and, and, and you need to forgive them, I mean, you need to to, to forgive a ten dollar sin, or maybe it's a thousand dollar sin. It's a big one. Maybe it is a million dollar sin, but God has already forgiven you of untold billions of dollars worth of sin. How could you not forgive? How could we not? For our sake. Because we are drinking poison as long as we keep resentment in our hearts and we're expecting the other person to die. How stupid is that? It's like somebody stabs you in the back. They got a little knife. Maybe they got a big knife in there. But this is what you do. You think, I'm going to really get them back. And you turn around to your back and you twist it in a little bit more. That person doesn't feel it. This is for your great, you're good. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Marriages don't work unless you're great forgivers. They just don't. Number four, gossip. That's when I badmouth you, and you're not there, or it's when I've got a conflict with you, and I go tell the third party rather than going to you to settle it, like Jesus tells us to. When we gossip, um, you know, the other person usually enjoys it too. Don't they? But they're thinking, if I'm over here gossiping with Joe, Joe is not dumb, and and he knows, Joe, I'm really picking on you a lot today, aren't I? And and, and Joe's not dumb, and and he's thinking to himself, as I'm bad-mouthing, you know, somebody else, he's thinking, boy, Jeff talks, doesn't he? I'm going to be careful what I say to Jeff, because he's a gossip. You hurt yourself. The reason we do it is because we're so insecure, we're tearing others down so we'll feel better and it doesn't work. We make ourselves look bad. Others don't trust us. All right, gossip. Have I, Has anybody here, you know, not had one of these yet? <laughs> Number five, divorce. Divorce is not the cardinal sin in the tr- spiritual life. There's worse things, but it's a big one today. <laughs> I believe there are grounds for divorce, biblical grounds for divorce. It's a, it's a tough topic because... Uh, the passages are not as clear as we'd like them to be, but I'm convinced that uh, there are biblical reasons for divorce, but they're very big things, like adultery. And uh, I don't think there's a definitive list, but I think it's a very small list. I, I think that if, if, if there's a father beating his kids or sexually abusing his kids, that's grounds. Uh, I don't think the Bible kind of gives us a, you know, a certain list here, but they're big things, big things. And the church today looks just like the culture and saying, no problem. You're not happy? Get a divorce. That, that is just asking for disaster in your marriage. Young couples here, when you get married or unmarried people, when you get married, make a decision. We are married for life. And, and that will change everything. If Gail thought it was an option, she'd been going after year one. See so what? But if that's not an option, whew, we gotta work through some things, don't we? There are biblical grounds. Some of you have lived, lived through the pain of that. God's forgiven you whether or not you went with the biblical grounds, you move on. But from this time forward, God says, I hate divorce. Malachi 2. Why does God say, I hate divorce? Because he's a harsh taskmaster? Because he wants to be restrictive of you? No, no. Oh, no. He says that because he's trying to protect you. Because when your spouse abandons you for somebody else, that is more pain than the human heart was designed to hold. And he's protecting you and your kids. God's saying, don't hurt yourself when it comes to divorce. Church, let's obey the Lord with all this unbiblical divorce. Six, lying. There's just so much lying. Subtle lie to make a good impression, exaggerating the truth, little white lies to your spouse or to your employer, lying on an expense report, lying on tax returns, lying about a product you're trying to sell, really overselling it, distorting the truth. I mean, there's all kind of lies. And we know that, already said, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So every time you lie in any one way or the other, you're... you're um, you're basically lining up with Satan rather than lining up with God, who is the truth and loves the truth and knows that the truth is important. In fact, the truth is absolutely necessary if there's going to be real trust and hence real intimacy. Okay, Rod and Jessica down the front row, if there's lying there, there's not going to be trust. Now, if there's not any trust there, there's not going to be intimacy. That's true of marriage. That is true of relationships. This is, this is for our good. Just tell the truth. Just decide, okay, Uh, I'm not going to try to finesse my way around, make myself look good. I'm just going to tell the truth. It's always best. Tell the truth. Six, lying. Seven, ingratitude. And, And by ingratitude, I don't mean ingratitude with each other. I mean ingratitude to God. Specifically, I mean this. The Bible says things like this. In everything, give thanks. Can I say that again? In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what I find. When you get a raise... Thanksgiving. When you get fired, no thanksgiving. When I get a diagnosis, no problem here, no, no disease here, give thanks. You get a problem diagnosis of cancer, no giving thanks. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. For This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't see that in the church. I don't see that among Christians. Where are the Christians that when they get the flat tire, Lord, I don't like this, but Lord, thank you. And why does God tell us to do that? Because it is a statement of faith and a reminder to yourself that God is good and he's going to bring good out of bad. It's not because you're crazy. It's because you're trusting God, that he is the sovereign God and he has promised to look after you and to bring good out of bad. Church, let's start giving thanks. Not just when the bad things happen. I mean, not just when the good things happen. Or even when the bad things happen. All right, i got one more. It's hard to narrow it down to eight, but... I'm choosing this one. Love your wife, respect your husband. Okay, this is the, the, the central passage on marriage in the New Testament. It culminates in 533. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. That, that is so disobeyed on both sides. Um, what's it mean to love your wife, guys? What, what, what does that look like? Well, I, I think most wives are a lot better than most husbands. Not always, but you know, it means sacrifice. It means servanthood. It, it means you're, you're thinking more about her than yourself. It, it means you want, want to love her the way she longs to be loved, not the way you long to, to express love. It, it, it means that, um, you know, little things uh, each day, uh, putting her first, it means that she feels more important to you than your job. She feels like more of a priority to you than your job or really anything else except God. She's a priority to you. It means that you open your heart to her. Wives, respect your husbands. Um, This means that you're very good at expressing affirmation, respect, and we men with our fragile egos, we need it, especially from you. It means that he knows crystal clear. You're so proud of him. You're so proud of him. Not perfect, but you're so proud of him. You believe in him. You're you're for him. You're, you support him. You don't, there's no danger that you're with friends and you kind of make a subtle jab to kind of ridicule him. You don't do that. That's not respecting your husband. You don't talk about him, kind of badmouth him to your friends when he's not around. That's not respecting your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. For God's sake for Christ's sake, and for the sake of your marriage. righty, church, many other sins could be mentioned, but here's eight of them. Now, think about these in light of those principles and truths we talked about others. We obey God just because he's God. We obey God because we love him. We obey God because we trust him. Every time you obey God in any of these areas, sexual sin, loving money, uh, lying, gossip, uh, all these things, every time you're saying, God, I trust you, I trust you, that you, you're good. Uh, think about Satan's schemes and lies to deceive you, that, that, how it's always best for you to obey God. You're hurting yourself and maybe hurting others every time you disobey God, and on and on. The stakes are so high, aren't they? The stakes are so high. Church, this is for our good. What is God saying to you? What's he saying to me? He's gentle, and he loves you. Why don't we just close our eyes and just, Lord, what do you have to say to us? What do you have to say to me, Lord? Lord, is there any sin that we need to give up, that we need to forsake? Just speak to us, Lord. Friend, if you're here and you've, you know that you've sinned a lot and you've never trusted God's gift of forgiveness, this is your time. This is your moment of destiny. You could never be perfect and earn salvation, but Jesus died and paid for your sin. Just receive Him now. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. And He will. Lord, all of us struggle. But Lord, help us to see you as you are and know your way is always best. And this is for our good. And Lord, give us grace. Give us grace to obey you with all our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.